Hello once again, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. And as I said times before, this is the podcast where we will be studying the Bible and the biblical covenant and its deeper meanings. If you have any questions, comments, or even topics you would like us to cover, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. So, you know my question, do you have your Bibles ready? We hope you do, and we hope you follow along in Scripture, and as well study after the show as we continue. So, I'd like to turn it over to the pastor. So, what are we going to be dealing with today? Well, we'll continue uh, in our series uh, in dealing with the circulatory system of the blood in the sanctuary, and this will be the fifth part, which is a cleansing phase. And we want to look at that this evening. So as we get started on this particular uh, text or subject, we want to turn to the book of Leviticus because we are dealing with the Day of Atonement. And we want to be able to look at the Day of Atonement, not just in its literal and typical sense, but we want to look at it from its the antitypical stage, as well as to see uh, the meaning uh, behind the symbolisms in the typical service. And as we align ourselves with the typical service, it'll give us an indication of how we are to carry out the antitypical service. So we'll be dealing with the fifth phase, which is the cleansing phase. Now, in the cleansing, cleansing phase, we examine how the high priest Aaron and those who were involved in the atoning process were to bring about the cleansing of the sanctuary tabernacle. Now, the text that we want to start with here is Leviticus chapter 16, and we want to consider uh, the verses from 23 to 28 which sets the background for that which we want to be able to accomplish. So in Leviticus chapter 16, we want to look at verses 23 through 28. Now I began to read in 1623. It says, and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offerings and the burnt offerings of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people and the fat of the sin offering shall be, shall he burn upon the altar and he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in the water, in water and afterwards come into the camp and the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward he shall come into the camp. So here we see what was going on on the Day of Atonement. And as we look at the Day of Atonement, uh, there was a number of things that was transpiring. And so we want to take an introspective look at those things. We have seen the cleansing phase in type. Now we want to see it in antitype. This we do by comparing the type with the antitype. However, when we consider the antitypical fulfillment of the typical, there are basically two things we want to keep in mind. First, the antitype doesn't match up 
in every particular detail of the typical. And the second thing we want to keep in mind is that the antitype is in actuality the original existence of the cleansing process. See, prior to the typical coming into being, the antitypical was already established when it comes to the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle. Now, in the construction of the sanctuary tabernacle, Moses was shown a pattern of the tabernacle in order to build it. He wasn't actually shown the heavenly one. We read in the book of Hebrews, let us turn to the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, we want to look at the uh, eighth chapter of Hebrews. And we'll want to look at a couple of verses there uh, as we deal with the heavenly sanctuary to point out the fact that in, in the antitype, what we are experiencing is, it is actually the, that which is in reality, whereas the antitype was a figure of the antitype. Now, when we look at the ninth chapter, the eighth chapter, that is, in eighth chapter, and we want to notice verses two and verses five. Notice what it says. In Hebrews chapter eight and verse two, it says, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which Yah pitched and not man. So in other words, Paul is writing in the book of Hebrews. He says that the Yeshua is the minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which Yah pitched and not man. So in other words, he's talking about a true tabernacle in relationship to the one that Moses built. See, Moses built the tabernacle, but that was not the one that was in heaven that he built. It was man-made. But Paul is talking here about the one that Yah, Elohim, has pitched and not man. And then he goes on further to, further to say, in verse number five, he said, who served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of Elohim when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. So in other words, Moses was not shown the heavenly sanctuary in order to make the sanctuary on earth. He was shown a pattern of it. And when he saw that pattern, he was able to construct the tabernacle that Elohim told him to construct. So what Moses built was merely a replica of the heavenly sanctuary of which he was given a pattern of. And with, the under, with this understanding that the earthly sanctuary tabernacle was only a model of the heavenly and that we should not expect it to line up exactly with it in every particular detail. So let us now proceed to point out in the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle, the cleansing phase. So we know on the earth what the cleansing phase was. They used the blood of animals and goats. But now we want to see how this plays out in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, when we look in the heavenly sanctuary, in comparison uh, to Leviticus, the 16th chapter, verses 23 to 28, we see that in the typical service of the earthly sanctuary, it was the goats and the animals and all of that that was being used. And as they used those things, they were portraying to us uh, what Elohim would be doing in the heavenly sanctuary and being able to atone uh, for our, our sins. Now, when we look at uh, Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> the ninth chapter, <clears throat> what we notice here is that uh, it, it brings out some understanding of how we can transition 
from the earthly sanctuary to the heavenly sanctuary. Now you remember that on the day of atonement in the earthly sanctuary, they had the bullock, they had the lamb, and they had the goat. And these animals, they were slaughtered in order to get their blood to take it into the sanctuary to atone for it. Now, when we make a transition to the heavenly sanctuary, what we notice in chapter 9 of Hebrews, notice what it says here. And we're going to start with verse number 11. It said, but the Messiah being come and high priest. Now, you remember in the, in the, in the typical service, the high priest was Aaron. But Aaron was a type. But Yeshua was the antitype high priest. So Aaron, the type, the typical high priest, was portraying the antitypical high priest, which was Yeshua the Messiah. Now, in verse 11 of the ninth chapter of Hebrews, it says, But Messiah being come, and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. So you see, he says, a more of a perfect tabernacle. See, that, that tabernacle of the, perf the perfect tabernacle, that was already established before he even established the Levitical priesthood and the tabernacle on earth. That was already in existence. But in order to understand what was in heaven, he gave his people through Aaron, the earthly tabernacle, to understand what was going on in the heavenly tabernacle. So it goes on further to say in verse 11, not made with hands. In other words, the one in heaven was not made with hands. Moses' tabernacle was made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. Verse 12 says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal salvation for us. And then he goes on further to say, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to Elohim, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living Elohim. So what we are seeing here is a comparison He's saying that all of these blood, these uh, bullocks and goats and the, and the ashes of heifers, he said, they didn't clean you from their sins. And he said, even if they could, then how much more, in verse 14, how much more the blood of the Messiah? You see, the blood of these animals pointed toward the blood of the Messiah who would cleanse us from our sins. So in these texts, they speak about the cleansing of the high priest who carried it out. This cleansing spoken of here is what is referred to as the atonement. There must be an atonement for the holy place and for himself and for his household and for the congregation. See, in the Old Testament, when Aaron came out there, he had atoned for the, the holy place. He had to atone for himself. He had to atone for his household, and he had to atone for the congregation of Israel. All of those things had to be done on the Day of Atonement. So when we look at the heavenly uh, tabernacle, Yeshua's blood covered all of that. He was a high priest, and he was also the lamb, the bullock, and the goat. And his blood uh, would cover all of that. So as we view this antitypical fulfillment in the heavenly sanctuary, tabernacle, we will see some similarities of it uh, to the typical of the earthly sanctuary tabernacle, but with a slightly different view. When the priests in the earthly tabernacle took the shed blood of the lamb or the goats into the first apartment, we call the holy place, it was the blood that he applied and sprinkled in it. So when they killed that animal, they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it and apply it in the holy place of the earthly tabernacle. Now in type, we explain that the lamb's or the goat's blood was in exchange for the repentance blood. This meant that the repentant gave his blood to the lamb or the goat 
and the lamb or the goat gave its blood to the repentant. Therefore, the lamb was accounted sinful and the repentant was accounted righteous. Why was that? Because when the repentant came with his sins, he laid his sins on the goat. And when he laid his sins on the goat, then the goat laid his righteousness on the repentant. So therefore, the goat has now sinfulness on, on it. And the repentant now have righteousness on oneself. Let's look at this scenario in the light of the atonement. When the repentant gave his blood to the lamb and the lamb gave its blood to the repentant, did they, liter did they literally make an actual blood exchange? In other words, did, did, the, did the repentant actually give his blood and the lamb give its blood? No, they didn't do that in actuality. However, the basic thing we must understand about the blood exchange is that blood represents life. Now, we want to turn into Hebrews, not Hebrews at this point, but we want you to keep a finger in Hebrews because we're coming back to Hebrews. But we want to look at Leviticus chapter 17. Now, here in Leviticus chapter 17, and we look at verse number 11, it said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is a blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Okay. So in other words, it's pointing out to us that one of the main things that was used in the earthly sanctuary was the blood. The blood had to be there. Okay. Because the Bible says that the life is in the blood. So I want you to keep that in mind. The life is in blood. Now we turn back to Hebrews chapter 19, not 19, but chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and we want to look at verse number 22. Hebrews 9, 22 says, And almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. There are at least two factors that we want to observe about blood. The first factor is that life is in the blood. That's the first thing you want to keep in mind. The second thing is that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. In other words, every sin that is committed has to be accounted for. And in order for the sin to be accounted for, there must be some shed blood for that sin. So when we look at these two basic factors, they explain to us what is taking place between the repentant and the lamb or the goat. When the repentant is said to give his blood for the blood of the goat, he is basically given his life and when the goat gives his blood, it is given its life. This is because blood represents life. Since the type of blood that one has is determined by the life one lives, then when we think in terms of exchanging blood, in actuality, it is exchanging our life. That's what it is, the life. Blood symbolizes life. And so when it speaks about the repentant and the goat exchanging blood, we are actually talking about exchanging life. Therefore, when it speaks about us being purged with the blood, we are talking about being cleansed with a life. When it says there can be no remission without the shedding of blood, isn't it saying that there can be no forgiveness without the giving of a life? So here we have it. The sinful blood of the repentant, which represents the sinful life, 
the righteous blood of the goat, which represents a righteous life. Therefore, when the sinful life is exchanged for the righteous life, that is what we call justification, which is imputed righteousness. Now that we know that it is the life of which we are cleansing, of which we are dealing with, let us now see how the heavenly antitypical life atones for us in the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle, as we pointed out earlier in our study, that the antitype of the heavenly sanctuary tabernacle may not follow exactly in the order of the type in the earthly sanctuary tabernacle. In the antitypical fulfillment of what Aaron the high priest did on the Day of Atonement, let us now apply this to what Yeshua, our high priest, is doing on the Day of Atonement. And as we do this part of our study, we are going to depart from the conventional outline that we have laid out for the most part. We will use it, but for the most part, we're going to uh, deviate. Now, the first question we ask, or the first question we want to answer is, when is the Day of Atonement? We want to find out when is the Day of Atonement. All right, now we look at, uh, we go back to Leviticus chapter 16. And in Leviticus chapter 16, we want to look at uh, verses uh, 29 and following. Leviticus 16. I want to start at verse number 29. And here it reads in the 29th verse of the 16th chapter of Leviticus. Here it says, And this shall be a statue forever unto you. So it says that it's going, this is going to be a statue forever. Now, anything that is forever is something that is not done away with. It will continue on from generation to generation. He said that this statue forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own countrymen or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before Yah. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statue forever. And the priest whom he shall anoint and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes even the holy garments, and he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statue unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as Yah commanded Moses. So he says the seventh month, and on the seventh month, which is they call the month of Tishri, on the tenth day of that month, they were to have the day of atonement. That's when they were to have it. And there was only once, only once or once a year when, when they should have the, the Day of Atonement. And so when we, we, we see when it was, it was on the 10th day of the seventh month, which may correspond to what we call the latter part of September or the early part 
of October is those two months that get corresponds to the Gregorian calendar. So here we see the exact day of when we should celebrate the Day of Atonement and what takes place. Now what we want to do is to look at its antitypical fulfillment, okay? So we know that once a year we ought to celebrate the Day of Atonement, okay? That's in the typical, but we also want to look at the antitypical, and dealing with the antitypical, we want to turn to the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, what we want to do is look at the eighth chapter of the book of Daniel, Daniel 8. And we want to look at uh, verse number 14, Daniel 8, 14. And here in Daniel chapter 8, and considering verse 14, it reads thusly. And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now here in the book of Daniel, we are told concerning the day of atonement, which is referred to as the cleansing of the sanctuary. Even though we continue to keep the Day of Atonement on the specified day of which Yah's word tells us that it comes once every year on the 10th day of the Hebrew seventh month of Tishri, that we are to still observe it but we are told from the book of Daniel that the sanctuary in the heaven in the heavenly would be cleansed in 2300 days or 2300 days okay so in the book of Daniel he's saying that this this sanctuary is going to be cleansed uh, after 2,300 days. Now, in order to know when the 2,300 days were started and ended, we have to know both what is meant by the 2,300 days and when they started. We have to know those two things. What does it mean by 2,300 days? And when did the 2,300 days start? Okay, let us deal with the first part of what does the 2300 days mean? Now, first we must understand that in biblical prophecy, in some instances, a day stands for a year, as it does in this prophecy, a day stands for a year. Therefore, 2,300 days would be equivalent to 2,300 years. And secondly, when did these years start? We need to know when they started. So we see that a year is represented by a day. So by having 2,300 days, you have 2,300 years. Okay? And then he said the sanctuary was going to be cleansed. Now remember that in A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed, so there was no earthly temple to be cleaned. That there was no temple. And even today, they're talking about building a third temple over in Jerusalem. So we know it's not talking about the earthly temple. It is talking about the heavenly temple. Okay? So we know that a year stands, a, a day stands for a year. So the earthly question we want to answer is, when did the 2,300 years start? Okay, let us turn to Daniel chapter 9, and in the ninth chapter, we want to look at verse number 25. It gives us the starting date of when the 2,300 days or the 2,300 years would start. It said, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah of the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, and the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. Okay. Now, when we consider uh, verse 25, the historians has verified 
this prophecy took place in the year 457 B.C., because that was the time in which not only the temple was being rebuilt, but also the streets and the walls of Jerusalem. And I believe they called this the um, decree of Artaxerxes. It was during that decree of Artaxerxes that he had Israel and he aided them in rebuilding this particular streets and the temple uh, in that year, even though this temple would not be in existence uh, for the end of the 2300 days, but we know that it was in existence uh, when it started in 457 BC. And as time went on, then it was destroyed in AD 70. So we are not really talking about historical date as we are just trying to pinpoint it for the for this study, there are other studies to deal with this in depth. But what we are looking at, at it was doing this decree to rebuild and to restore the streets uh, of Jerusalem. That under this decree, it started the twenty three hundred years in four fifty seven B.C. Now, in that year, now what we see here is four fifty seven B.C. And we come to, if we take 2,300 days or 2,300 years from the year 457 B.C. all the way for the 2,300 days, it would take us to, from 457 B.C., it would bring us up to 1844 A.D. And if you count from 457 to 1844 A.D., it will be 2,300 years. In that year, on the 10th of the seventh month, was when this prophecy ended, the 2300-day prophecy ended, and the Day of Atonement commenced. In other words, this 2300-year prophecy ended exactly on the Day of Atonement. And it was on the Day of Atonement that started what we call the cleansing of the sanctuary. So what we are experiencing is that Yah ends one of the longest prophecies on the Day of Atonement. However, as he ends the prophecy, he starts the Day of Atonement. Furthermore, what we must understand is that even though we celebrate this Day of Atonement once in every year, we must understand that even though it was on the Day of Atonement, yet it was to serve as a beginning point of the start of the judgment of this world. Now, we want to we continue to follow what Daniel is saying. He said, because in 1844, which was the closing of the prophecy and the beginning of the and it closed on the Day of Atonement, and the Day of Atonement was being ushered in. Okay, so now let us look into the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation chapter 14. And we want to look at a couple of verses there in Revelation 14. We want to look at verses 6 and 7. Now Elohim had seven angels, okay, and we see that these seven angels, the first three angels had messages that they are given in, 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 in the uh, 14th chapter of Revelation. And we want to look at the first angel's message, okay? Let us see what the first angel's message was, okay? Here it says in Revelation 14, and considering verse 6 and 7, it said, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred, and tongue and people said with a loud voice, Fear Elohim and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So here in these verses, we are told that the hour of judgment is come. When did it come? It came in the fall of the seventh month on the tenth day. Moreover, 
when we consider the hour of judgment, it is the time which Yah is fulfilling the day of atonement. When Yeshua, who is both our lamb and scapegoat, who was crucified and shed his blood, which means he gave his life to atone for us. And when we come to him in faith for the forgiving of our sins, he gives us his perfect life of righteousness, which is his shed blood, which represents his life. And we give him our imperfect life of sinfulness, which our blood represents. When our sinful life is exchanged for his righteous life, we have been atoned for. So when we look at Revelation 14, 7, it talks about a time of judgment and which had started in the year 1844 in the seventh month. So we see that's when it started. And so when it started on that day, it was also fulfilling the prophecy of the Day of Atonement, just like when they had uh, Passover. We celebrate that every year. And as we celebrate Passover every year, uh, we still deal with the blood of Passover because the blood that he shed on Passover was his life, and his life would continue to atone for our lives. So we can't get rid of a Passover, but we still use the blood of Passover to be able to have our uh, sins atoned for. So on the Day of Atonement, it has this fulfillment just like the other festival days. When, when Yeshua died on the cross, that fulfilled Passover. But a lot of people mistakenly say that because it was fulfilled, it was done away with. But Yeshua said, I came not to do away with the Torah or the law, but I came to fulfill it. So fulfill means that he fulfilled it, but he didn't do away with it. He still have it. And then after the fulfilling of Passover, he fulfilled unleavened bread. <clears throat> And when he fulfilled unleavened bread, he went on to fulfill first fruits by resurrecting some from the dead, which was the first fruits. And then after that, he fulfilled Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, thousands of souls were won. And so in 1834, because the Bible says that a day for a year, and we know that on the first day of the seventh month, they had what they called the blowing of the trumpets. And the blowing of the trumpets was the preaching of the gospel. And that was during the time of William Miller and the great awakening of the church. They began to preach that Yeshua, the Messiah, would come. And when he didn't come, there was a great disappointment. And they searched the records and they found out that Yeshua was not coming, but he was changing his apartments in the heavenly sanctuary, whereas in the daily service, they only administered in the holy place, but in the day, on the Day of Atonement, they administered in the most holy place only once a year. And that's where the day of atonement was carried out in the most holy place, which was the second apartment where the Ark of the Covenant was. So when we look at the day of atonement being fulfilled in 1844, what we are seeing is that that was the place in the most holy place of where the blood was carried. But since we know that the blood represented the life, we know that that is the life of Yeshua who had atoned for our sins, took our sins to the heavenly uh, sanctuary. And then when he took them there on the day of atonement, which now is not just one day, it's a period in which we're looking at. So when we look at the day of trumpets, which was on the first day of the seventh month, and from, from the first day to the tenth day, they had the blowing of the trumpets. What was the blowing of the trumpets? The blowing of the trumpets was the preaching the gospel, telling the people to get ready for the judgment. Because when Elohim had the trumpets blown, then the next festival in the seventh month was the Day of Atonement. So the trumpets was blowing through the preaching of many of the preachers in the land 
but they had mistakenly thought that the earth was a sanctuary and they was preaching that he was coming again, but they found out he was not coming to this earth, but he was coming to the most holy place. And when they discovered that mistake, they was able to understand that it was not his second coming, but it was his coming to the most holy place to begin the judgment of who was able to qualify for the kingdom of heaven. Who were the candidates for the kingdom of heaven? Okay. So in, from 1834, and if we say a day for a year, and if we count 10 days, it was the 10th day. But if we counted in years from 1834 to 1844, that was 10 years in which the gospel was being preached that, that Yeshua is starting a judgment. And so when they understood that, then when you read in Revelations, uh, the seventh verse of the 14th chapter, when it talks about his hour of judgment has come, it is talking about that in 1844, that it was the beginning of the judgment. What do we mean by the beginning of the judgment? We mean that now he's going over the record of our lives to see who would be saved and who would be lost. So when we speak about atonement, it is where we are covered by the blood, which is the life of Yeshua on his crucifixion. The atonement is also referred to as a judgment whereby we have or have not given our sinful life to Yeshua to exchange for his life. So we have a choice that in judgment, Elohim is looking to see that we ask for forgiveness for our sins or are we holding on to our sins? Now, if we have asked for forgiveness of our sins and his blood covers us, then if we continue to walk in the way he wants us to walk, then that means that our life is in harmony with the life of Yeshua. And we also experience a cleansing whereby if we accept Yeshua's life, we are cleansed of all of our sins and he does away with them. So when we look at the day of atonement in the antitypical sanctuary and the antitypical high priest, Yeshua, our Messiah, it is his life. It is his life that atones for us. So when we think about the blood, the blood represents life. And so it is his life in the heavenly sanctuary. So when we talk about the blood in the, in, in the heavenly sanctuary, what are we talking about? We are talking about the life. And the life of the sinner is a sinful life. So our sinful life is in heaven. And he takes our sinful life and he records it in a book. And when he records it in a book, then that book talks about the sinful life. And as he talks about the sinful life, he says in, 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 in Revelation 20, let's turn to Revelation 20. In Revelation 20, and speaking about the sinful life, he says in verse 12, Revelation 20, 12, he said, I saw the dead, the small and the great, stand before Elohim, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. So thus far, we see it's two, two types of books. You have the books with the S and also the book. Now, the books with the S means that individually, each one of us have a book that records the deeds done in our life. So when we look at the blood, we're looking at the life. And when we look at the life, we see either a pure life or an impure life. And all of that is written in the books. And then he said there was another book, which was the book of life. Now, the book of life is that if we are in harmony with the wishes of Elohim, not only do we have a private book, but we also, our, all of our names will be put in one book of life. And then he goes on further to say in, 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 in verse 12, it says, which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books. Now, he said they would, they would not judge out of the things in the book of life. The book of life means that if you name in there, you made it. But he said they, that they were judged out of the books, which meant the individual who had a book of their life according to their works. So 
when we look at the book of Revelation, we see that he has the books of each individual and he has the book of life that if we qualify by allowing Yeshua's blood or his life to cover our life, then we'll put it into the book of life. So what we are experiencing here is that uh, blood represents life and the life represents a type of life they live. And Elohim is looking to see if our lives measure up and how do they measure up? They measure up by the fact that we give him our sinful life and he gives us his righteous life. And when Elohim look at our books and he see that we are trying to live up to what he says, then our names are put into the book of life. Now we must also understand this too, that on the day of atonement, they say they took all of the sins and they put him on the on on the, on the scapegoat and sent it out into the wilderness. So, in antitype, what do we see? We see that when Yeshua takes our sins back to heaven, he puts them in a book, and then eventually he'll take our sins and he'll put them on the scapegoat, which is Satan. Okay. Now let's look at this in Revelation twenty, and we're gonna look at uh, verses one and two. It said, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years. And verse three says, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose a little season. So in other words, what it is saying here is that he's going to send him into the wilderness and he won't have anybody else to tempt again. And all of the sins that we once committed, that we put on Yeshua, Yeshua going to take those sins and put it upon him. Now, those who did not come to confess their sins, they are taken, their books are looked at. And if they have not, ask for forgiveness on the day of atonement and through their life, those sins will be on them. So they along with Satan, Satan will burn for his sins and also for the confessed sins that Yeshua put on him. But those who did not put their sins upon Yeshua will have to burn for their own sins. So, so Satan would burn for both the sin, our sins that was put on Yeshua and his sins. But those who did not confess their sins and let Yeshua's blood or his life clean them up, they will have to suffer for their own sins. So we see that in heaven, the antitypical atonement was that the life of Yeshua is being compared to our life. And our life, if we have accepted him, is perfect. But if we have not, is imperfect. So therefore, on the day of atonement, which is not only one day, it's a dispensation of time. Because the next festival to be fulfilled would be the festival of tabernacles, which we will have a privilege of going to heaven. And when we go to heaven, we'll be able to celebrate the Day of Atonement, which means that we'll, not the Day of Atonement, but the Day of Tabernacles after the Day of Atonement, and then that will be fulfilled. So what we are saying basically here is that when it is carried out in heaven, it's not the literal blood, but it's the life of Yeshua that he is atoning for us when he shed his blood on Calvary. And as a result, we can have our sins both forgiven and also done away with on the day of atonement. And during the dispensation of the day of atonement being fulfilled, what we are experiencing is that this message is to go to all of the world, he says, to every kindred, tongue, nation, and people, and let them know that the hour of judgment has come, which means that the hour of atonement, the hour of cleansing, and the day of atonement has come. So between now and the second coming of Yeshua, uh, we are to be trying to get our sins atoned for on this particular period of the day of atonement. And while we go through the day of atonement, which is the dispensation of time that we are living in, 
we still celebrate it once a year to remind us of what he is doing in the heavenly sanctuary on a continuous basis. So the two things we look at or the two judgments that we are looking at, he's going, according to the book of Revelation, uh, he said he, he said, I saw the dead, the small and the great. You remember Pastor Paul said that when Yeshua would come the second time, he said the dead and Messiah shall rise first. But notice also in the 12th verse of the 20th chapter of Revelation, it also points out, he said, I saw the dead, small and great. So when he starts the judgment in 1844, he starts with the dead first. So I can imagine he, the first name he would start with and the second name would be Adam and Eve, and then he would go all the way down to those who professed him at one time in their life, and he would look and see if they had walked in the way that he wanted them to walk. He would start with the dead. And once he is finished going over all of the lives of the dead folk who believed in him and see if they qualify for the kingdom of heaven, then he would start with the living. We don't, at least I don't know where he is in the judgment. I don't know if he's finished with the dead and he's on the living, but we do know this, that if he starts with the living, it wouldn't take him much time because all he have to do is look down from heaven and he can see the way that we are living, those of us who are living, but the ones who are dead, they have already sealed their life. And if they are ready, then when he comes the second time, they are going to be the first one to meet him because their records has been gone over. But we who are alive and remain, we uh, be judged as well, but we'll be judged last. And when he gets to our name, then when he finishes the living, then that's when he's going to come again. And as a result, if we are living correctly, then we'll be called up to meet him in, in the heaven. But if we aren't, we'll be struck dead by the brightness of his appearance. So that is our subject for the day. And we want to leave it there. It might be some questions, observation, or some concerns. And we'll open it up at this time. So it's, uh, this is a two-part question. Is the tabernacle still in the process of being cleansed? And does judgment play into the cleansing of the tabernacle? Okay, excellent question. Uh, yes, we are still, he is still cleansing the heavenly sanctuary. And the way the judgment plays in it is like actually, when you study the history of the Day of Atonement, it is looked upon as a day of a judgment. So when you talk about atonement, what Elohim is looking for is, uh, have we accepted Yeshua through what we call justification, which means I give him my life of sin and he give me his life of righteousness. That's what you call atonement. Atonement means to cover your sin. And we are covered with his blood, which we have emphasized in our study that when we talk about blood, we talk about his life. In other words, we are covered with his life. And when we are covered with his life, then judgment comes in to see, all right, if you have accepted me, when Yeshua looks at you, he's making some judgment. He is saying, well, you say you accept me. Are you walking in the way that I want you to walk? That's making some judgments. And we call that judgment a cleansing. And we call that judgment uh, an atonement. And when we look at it from the standpoint, judgment means to look at a life and see if it is qualified to be a candidate for the kingdom of Elohim. So when we look at justification, it is saying that you gave me your life and I gave you my perfect life. Now, if he has given us a provision for sin and we don't accept it, then he's going to judge us unworthy of eternal life. Just like in the parable, when the man came and he did not have a garment, they cast him into outer darkness. Why was that? Because in the wedding, when you came there, you were given a garment to put on. You couldn't come in there with your street clothes. But he thought he would just come in there with his street clothes and not accept the garment. And the garment was free. And this is why salvation is free. All we have to do is accept it. But if he judge us unworthy, it is because we did not accept the provisions that he has given us and walk in the way that he wanted us. So, yes, judgment and atonement go hand in hand. Okay. Now, if I wanted to basically fact check the 457 
1844 numbers. Uh, what type, how do I uh, find scriptures regarding those or documents to uh, support that? Oh, they got documents both in the history uh, and as, as well as uh, some common sense stuff. Now, the common sense stuff would simply be that Elohim says that when you keep the Day of Atonement, you're going to keep it forever, okay? So that means that every year there has to be a Day of Atonement. So in 1844, we know there had to be a Day of Atonement, so that was there. But now as to when you calculate uh, from the time that it started until it ended, there, there are a plethora of documents you can, you can get. Uh, you can uh, go to history itself. There's the encyclopedia. Uh, there is what we call... Uh, uh, Astra, uh, well, in the, uh, what we say the Naval in the, in the Naval in the Navy, not, I wouldn't say the Navy. Yeah. Well, you can say the Navy, but in astronaut, not in, uh, in nautical time of what they use on the sea when, when this, when they sail a ship or a boat, a lot of times they set their course by the stars. Okay. And a lot of people uh, may want to ch check uh, with the with the with the naval or uh, the astro uh, the the nautical uh, chart in certain years, and they can document what happened at a certain time. Because generally, when you had the first month, you had to have a new moon, and then from that new moon, you count ten days in the seventh month, and then you would arrive at uh, the day in which the atonement should be. And as I said, you can probably search the internet and they can probably give you a plethora of information on the day of atonement in certain years and history and history books will give you a lot on the decree of 457 BC up until 1844 to let us know about the decree that actually started to 2300 days so it's a lot of information on that. So if you have a problem, uh, try to find some information, just give us a, 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 a shout out by giving an email or letting us know that this is what you want and we can give you a number of books to be able to research. But I'm almost sure if you just look it up, you'll be able to find it. But we are here to assist you if you need help. And before we go and close, uh, I found it very interesting that the perfect tabernacle is in heaven and that we have to exchange our sinful life for a righteous life, which ends up making us perfect, to put us in a perfect place. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was interesting. So yes, okay. before you close it out, can you... Uh, Take us in prayer. Yes. I love and Father, as we have looked at the antitypical day of atonement that is carried on even now as I speak of the heavenly sanctuary in which you are going over the names of everyone that has claimed the name of Yeshua the Messiah to see if they have accepted him and is walking in obedience to what he has asked us to. And when you can see the life of Yeshua in our lives as we walk daily, then when you look at our book, oh, Heavenly Father, you can write the good things and you can enter our names into the book of life. And the only way that we can be taken out of the book of life is that we do not walk in the life that we have accepted and we corrupt that life, then our sins will be a back upon us. So help us to be faithful to the charge, help us to continue to study to show ourselves approved. And as you reveal us, your scriptures to us, that we may be able to walk in the truth that you have given us. And we know that the only way that we can really understand the scriptures and the things that you teach is that our eyes need to be anointed with the eye self of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit can help us to understand these things and not only understand, but give us the strength to be able to do the things that we know. And when thou dost come, may we, along with the many thousands who have accepted the blood of Yeshua, be ready to meet you in peace. 
So bless each listener, bless each person who is striving for the kingdom, that as we give our lives to Yeshua, he give us life to us, that his living would not be in vain, that we can be justified and experience the imputed righteousness of our Messiah. And when Yeshua comes back again, he could pronounce upon each one of us, well done. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We hope you had your Bibles ready today. And if not, we challenge you next week when you tune in again to have your Bible ready. There are so many sources for you to have a Bible. If you have a phone, a tablet, a computer, there is no excuse for you not to have the scripture and word at hand. So that is our podcast for this week. We want to encourage you as always to return the keeping of the covenant, which Yahuwah has cut with us and to follow our podcast weekly. Also feel free to email us at the science of the covenant at gmail.com with your questions, comments, and as it states in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Until next week, people, shalom.